Last week, we started a sermon series that is centered around our mission as a church. And I don't know if anybody has looked up on, on our sermon graphic, there's longitude, latitude there. Has anybody looked up those, those numbers yet? No, that's fine. All right, maybe, maybe you will. Maybe this will kind of cause you, cause you to do that. Put them in Google Maps and see, see what that, that comes up with. But our mission statement as a church is helping people find Jesus and love God. And as we talked about last week, that comes from Scripture. I mean, that's not like an organizational statement that we have that we just kind of came up with our own. I mean, that comes from, hey, this is who we're called to be as disciples of Jesus. And so we looked at that last week. We looked at our foundation, who is God, and we talked about how Everything that we do is supposed to be centered on him. He's our reason for being. He's the reason we exist. And so that's, that's why we do what we do. And I, I just want to mention, too, I don't know how many people fasted, but I know I had several people reach out to me and let me know, hey, Monday I ended up fasting, too. And just to let you know, this was, this was a great experience. And, I mean, that was unsolicited. I didn't ask anybody, uh, but I had several people who mentioned that. And so hopefully you took part in that. And uh, it's just a great way to do it. Like, don't... Let that be the only time that you do that in your life or in your spiritual journey. But it's a great time for us to be able to center our focus, gain some perspective on who God is, how he provides for us, and cares for us. Today, as we're going backwards through our mission statement, because it's cyclical and we talked about that last week, we're talking about love. Everybody say, oh, right? Because that's always how we feel about love, isn't it? Love is always that warm, gushy feeling that we, that we all have every day at every moment. Well, maybe it's a little bit more complicated than what it seems because some of us maybe came in this morning not feeling a whole lot of love in our lives or, or really excited about talking about it. After all, it's not Valentine's Day or anything like that. Uh, conventional wisdom suggests that you're going to know it's love by how you feel. And you might guess that I'm going to say something a little bit different about love this morning. But that only works for us, love rec- being recognized by feeling and emotion only works for us if we've defined love in a way in which it works to bring the right kind of feelings in the right kind of situations. Because not all of us have been taught the same things about love. Not all of us have grown up in the same type of loving family. Some of us have learned love means completely different things than what other people has learned love is. And so the way that we say that word can mean different things. Let me just take the phrase, I love my wife, right? Just, just a simple phrase and, and just the different ways that I could say that would convey some different meanings. For example, I love my wife. That, that maybe conveys some, something or, uh, I love my wife. How about, how about that one? <laughs> I love my wife. You know, that, that conveys something a little different. Or, I love my wife. <laughs> right? I mean, those, what? I, I, don't, I don't get it. Uh, those all convey some different things, right? When we say it's all the same words. I, I use the word love in there, but they all mean some different things. So the textbook definition of, for example, one of them is deep affection for a person. Well, what does that mean? I mean, what, uh, yeah, a lot of affection for lots of different people. I love lots of different people, but I don't all love them in the same way or to the same degrees. And so it's not necessarily going to apply the same meaning in each of those examples. I, I love chocolate chip cookies, but I'm not going to marry them because you can't. I don't, I don't think, but they're, they're amazing. What is love really? I think if Jesus were here today to define love for, for us, here's what I think he'd say. I think he'd say, we're no strangers to love. You know the rules, and so do I. A full commitment is what I'm thinking of. 
You wouldn't get this from any other guy. I just want to tell you how I'm feeling. Got to make you understand. Never going to give you up. (laughs) Never going to let you down. Never going to run around and desert you. You just got rickrolled. And yes, that is the loving thing to do in this situation. Look, you, you ask most people, you search the internet, what is love? You listen to the songs, you watch the portrayals on film, and love is going to be primarily described as an emotion. This is, this is this feeling, sometimes even not describable. And while emotion is an important aspect of love, it doesn't define love's qualities, nor it is, the, is it the most foundational aspect of love. Because sometimes the feelings that we associate with love are things that actually get us in trouble and are not that great. Honestly, much of what is portrayed as love, especially in our culture, is more in line with words like infatuation or lust. That's because the temptation is to allow our recognition of love to be based on our emotional response rather than a conscious decision to engage in healthy patterns and habits of passion and compassion and depth of feeling and attraction. There's a different path forward, however, one that isn't based on whether or not the feeling is there or still there or if we're ever going to feel it, but in, in the intentional practice of love being an active process we commit to. And that's when love becomes the culmination of the things that we do and say and we are. And then this has to come from a foundation that defines for love for us outside of ourselves. This is not the way that our society operates. And so as we talk about love, I I just want to kind of create a clear foundation for what we're talking about, especially as we look into the text this morning in 1 John chapter 3. And and just kind of set that foundation, I'm going to give a contrast for what our culture or what our natural proclivity is or the world, however you want to think about that, how our culture defines love and how God defines love. And it's simply this. In our culture, love is defined as self-desire. That is the primary definition. Love is based on what we want. It's what we feel like we need from other people. It's what we want to gain from our relationships with others. Love is self-desire. From God, though, the definition of love is self-sacrificial. Complete opposite end of the spectrum. God looks at love in a completely different way, and he's the one who defines it and creates it. Um, Love, then, is not just what we want. It's also what we ought to want because it's better sometimes than what we naturally want. And it's also about what we'll deny, the things that undercut love in our lives so that we can actually experience a real love. I see this contrast played out all over the place. I see this contrast between love being self-desire and love being self-sacrificial. I see it play out in romantic relationships. Um, Sometimes things don't work out for us in our life, and, and maybe that happens. Or maybe sometimes we just have never come across that one particular man or woman you know, maybe we desire to have a spouse, desire to be in a relationship with, with someone else, and we just have never even come across someone that we feel like we love or that reciprocates that love to us. And, and yet, one of the things that our culture tells us to do is, hey, you've got to keep looking for that person who you want, the person who's going to fulfill your needs, your desires, what you want to have in your life. That's what you need to do. From a godly standpoint, godly perspective, what I would say is, and, and maybe you're not looking for relationship advice from me this morning, and that's fine, uh, that's totally okay, but i just give you a couple principles that I think fit in a lot better 
and will produce some more healthy things in our lives if we follow them. And this is whether or not you're in a relationship right now or not. If you desire to be in one, this, this, this goes for, for all of us. Is that instead of solely focusing on what we want out of somebody else, one of the best things we can do is think about what am I doing in my life to attract the person that I'm attracted to? Because when we only focus on ourselves, when we only think about our own desires in those moments, I mean, sometimes we're not even, meet the person of our dreams, but they're not at all interested in who we are because we haven't done anything in our own life to adjust or self-sacrifice or think about ourselves in terms of, hey, who can I be for another person? Our culture says, who can that other person be for me? God says, who can I be for that other person? And so we could work, here are the couple relational advices I would give. We can work on becoming the person that the person we want to be attracted to would be attracted to. And the second thing is this, make number one not the priority. Make it a byproduct of being who God has called you to be and what he has called you to do. In my experience, relationships have an interesting way of coming together in ways we don't expect when we aren't solely focused on ourselves. I also see this contrast played out in families. This idea that love is self-desire versus love is self-sacrificial. Some of you know exactly what this is like because you have had spouses who have been only about themselves and not about you at all. Some of you know exactly what this is like because you have had parents who have only been about themselves and not about you as a child at all. Some of you as parents know exactly what this is like because you have kids who are only about themselves and not about anyone else at all. And these are painful things. Early on as a kid, I recognized middle school. I, looking around at my friends and their family situations and the fact that my parents were together, not only were they together, but they actually loved each other and they loved us as a family and they were willing to provide for us and care about our well-being and disciplined us, all those things. Even then, I recognized how special that was. And that was a long time ago. And so today, that hasn't necessarily gotten any better in terms of how families live out their love and how that's modeled for each other in, in, in our homes. I also see this contrast played out in friendships, or rather, I, I should say, in the lack of friendships among people. I see this a lot in men, especially young men, but I mean, it, it applies to women as well. Loneliness and isolation continue to become more problematic and, and people become less and less aware that the reason they are experiencing life the way they are and why it becomes so difficult for them and things that you and I might look at and think, man, that's, that's easy. I mean, you just deal with it like that, but become much more of a crisis is because people just don't have any friends that they can rely on. And this has become more and more and more of an epidemic. One of my uh, best, best friends lives in San Antonio, Texas. And we don't get to hang out in person nearly as much as we would like to for obvious reasons. But I'd say we talk on the phone, and maybe this is weird, like as, as a guy for, for you to hear this, but we talk on the phone at least once a week, sometimes multiple times a week. And, and sometimes it's 15 minutes to catch up. Sometimes it's two hours as we talk about life and we talk about work. And, and I'm telling you, that friendship makes me a better husband, makes me a better man, makes me a better pastor. I've got four other guys that I have share the same type of relationship with. And we all make sacrifices to be able to be with each other, to be able to hang out with each other. And, and, and we do that. My wife, she's uh, the other four guys that I'm really best friends with. My wife, she's friends with all of their wives. And we take 
time out for a whole families to go out camping together and those kinds of things. Not, not simply because that's what we always like to do all the time, but because we make intentional sacrifices because we know we desperately need those other people in our lives. And so rather just focus on what we want to do and, and how we want our schedules to go and what our family is up to and those kinds of things, we intentionally carve out time for other people so we have, have those friendships. And to be blunt, I would be miserable without the love those friendships provide to me and the benefit that they are to me personally, yeah, but to my entire family as well. I've had too many conversations with people who have no friendships with people that they can rely on. And, and this, is, this always comes up at, in moments of crisis. Uh, some lost my job, lost a relationship, lost a person in the family, what, whatever those things are. And, and people look around and they say, I've, just, I've got no one. I've got no support system. And, and when you get to that moment and you're in that place, it's a little late then to be looking for somebody that has a deep relationship for us to be able to be there for us in that time. And so when do we do those things? Well, now. We, we do those things and we make time for them and we keep those friendships now, not just in preparation for those moments of crisis, because, but because it improves and changes our lives. The solution is simple, but the execution takes time and deliberate self-sacrifice with other people who are like-minded, with the understanding that there is something deeper at work in our souls than what romantic love and family love and even brotherly love among really good friends can provide. While we benefit endlessly from loving relationships with others, there's also a reason to love without the benefits being the only point of loving other people. It's not just about what we can get out of people, other people, but it's because God's self-sacrificial love for us compels us to love self-sacrificially. For those who have said yes to Jesus, have been washed in the water, filled with the Holy Spirit, we've already received all the benefit we need for ourselves out of life because of what God has already done through Jesus. And as disciples of Jesus, we are fulfilled and sustained by the love that we have from God within our ongoing communion with him. That's the type of relationship. That might not be the way that you feel about your relationship with God right now, for example, depending on where you are in your journey of faith. But that's the kind of relationship that God desires to have with us and to provide for us. Love takes on a deeper and richer meaning when we define it with God. And so John, in 1 John chapter 3, John is one of Jesus, he was one of Jesus' closest friends. He's one of closest, his closest disciples. In fact, in John, in his gospel, when he writes about Jesus' ministry, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he talks about himself in that way because of the relationship, the close friendship that Jesus had with John. In fact, when Jesus is on the cross, he looks to John and he says, hey, I'm not, I'm not going to be around, and so I'm going to ask you to take care of my mother for me. And so you know they had a very close uh, friendship and relationship here. And John takes one of his letters, 1 John, there's three short letters that he writes that are in the New Testament in addition to the Gospel of John. And he uses that letter really to talk specifically about love and how it is defined by God. And so you've heard of John 3.16, possibly, and you've heard about the love God has for the world, but we're going to check out John, 1 John 3.16 and the following verses for our understanding of love this morning. And here's, here's what he says in 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And so once again, John's got the whole of love wrapped up for us in a single verse. 
We recognize love because it was modeled for us by the creator of love. Jesus denied himself. He didn't think of himself when he came to earth and lived among us and uh, performed his, his ministry in and among people. He didn't think of himself when he was on the cross. And yet, he died on the cross for us. He rose again to be a living sacrifice, paying a price that we couldn't. And for anyone who is now enjoying the status of redemption, the path forward is, is doing likewise. Being a disciple of Jesus is following the same type of pattern and modeling ourselves after him. It's easier said than done, of course. But at the very least, this is the standard by which we are called to love one another. God's love for us is a depth of affection and goodwill for our lives that transcends our ability to deserve it. And, and that's, that's the twist in how we love other people and how we think other people that God calls us to that's a little bit different than our natural proclivity in how we love other people. Because most of the time we, let's be honest, I, most of the time I, I won't say all of us, right? I'll speak for myself. I want other people to deserve my love. I mean, that, right? I mean, because that means they're not hurting me. They're not doing th- things that I don't like. I mean, that, that's, that's what we would rather have. I, I want people to deserve my love for me to give it, them, give it to them. And yet deserving love, it's, it's, it's just not going to happen. We're just not good enough. We're not perfect enough. For uh, consistent enough for that to be the case in our lives. Nor does deserving it lead to, the, people having to deserve it from us lead to the transformational love that God is willing for us all to experience. In 2019, there's a story that has, has just always stuck with me. There was a young man whose brother was, um, he, he was killed uh, by, by a police officer who was going home and went into the wrong apartment didn't realize that they were in the wrong apartment, thought somebody had broken into their apartment, and they thought that, I, I guess, they thought they were defending themselves, and they ended up shooting this man who was just watching TV in his own apartment. And so, obviously, in 2019, that became a big, that became a big case, and a lot of attention was on it. And this young man whose brother had been killed was in the courtroom for the sentencing and all the procedures, and gave a witness impact statement. And in that witness impact statement, it gained a lot of attention specifically because in that witness impact statement, this man said, I don't know if this is possible, but can I give her a hug? And that's, that's always stuck with me because I don't think I would be able to do that. And, and I like to think that that is not, you know, a huge you know, hole in my character. I like to think that that's kind of relatable, that it would be very difficult for me, for me to do that. If somebody murdered, you know, my, my sister, it'd be hard for me to, to hug them. And yet this man's, uh, this young man's perspective um, it, in his witness statement was to say to the judge was that his main desire wasn't for her to go to jail, but for her to give her life to Christ. And, and I think, and I think about that, and I think about the type of self-sacrificial love that God models for us, the, the love that he calls us to share with, with other people. And I get, you know, I get that there are boundaries. I get that there are consequences to our actions. And this, this person is having to face all, all of those things. But so much of it um, comes down to what this young man desired for this person. It wasn't so much about what they deserved in that moment. 
for the actions that they had taken. But, but what this guy wanted for this person's life. And so when we think about love and we think about the emotion that maybe, I, I don't know, maybe that wells up some emotions in, in you to hear about that story. It does for me. It stuck with me for a long time. It's like, well, I, you know, depending on what kind of emotions are well up in, in my heart, does it match that same desire that this young man had for this person? That really what I really want for you is, look, I, I know you're going to have consequences to your actions. I know you're going to have to deal. I know you're going to have to go to jail for this. I mean, you know, the, the law is, is the law, and, and so that's what's going to happen. But what I really want for you is to know the love of Christ. Does this woman deserve it? No. Did this young man follow the life Jesus modeled of creating opportunities for others to experience and accept the love of God? Absolutely. Everyone deserves a chance to experience and accept godly love. And we're called to show that. It, it's the love by which all other loves derive their purpose and meaning and usefulness. The New Testament is written in Koine Greek, so, so not like the modern Greek that they would speak in Greece now, but a, a more ancient version of that. And in Koine Greek, there are four different words for love. Only three of which are used in the New Testament, and even, even the third that's used least than the other, other two is only used in, in the negative sense. Those four words are eros, which refers to romantic love or physical love, which is not in the New Testament. Uh, it is, it is talked about in the Bible, though. You can check out Song of Solomon and, uh, and, and check that out. And uh, the reason for that, I think, is because our, our lives and relationships and our identities are never meant to be wrapped up in that one singular type of love, right? The second, uh, second word is storge. Storge refers to familial love, mostly. So kind of the love between a parent and a child, that kind of natural thing that, that is there that's almost inexplicable. And, and that one is only used a couple times in, in the negative sense in talking about people who, who didn't have that type of love. The two main loves that are used in the New Testament are phileo, which is brotherly love. Think about Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. All right, there, there's a connection there for you. And agape, which refers to godly love, that self-sacrificial love, that, that deep affection and goodwill that God desires for all of humanity to experience. And it is agape love that John is referring to in this section of 1 John 3.16. And it is the self-sacrificial nature of God's love that defines and inspires for us how we are to express love for one another. So let me read a little bit further in that passage. By this we know love, John says in 1 John 3.16, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Love is not rooted in desire. 
It's rooted in action. Actions, when built into habits, soften and shape and shape and strengthen our hearts to beat along with God's heart for us. Infatuation, lust, apathy, always keep us running at a love deficit, never satisfied with others and never being satisfying to other people. John simply says, look, we recognize love. This is, this is how we recognize love is that we look and see what God has done for us. God saw our infinite need, and in his goodwill and affection for his creation, he fulfilled it through Jesus Christ, even though we did not deserve it. And while we can't be the solution to someone else's infinite need, we can provide for the physical and even some of the emotional and mental well-being and needs of others so that they have the opportunity to accept the love of God through our love for one another. And so godly love is simply seeing the needs that exist in other people and helping to provide them. It's looking beyond our own needs. It's looking beyond our own desires and seeing the need and seeing the wants in other people and working to fulfill those things in godly ways. And so this, this week, I, I just want to ask you to join me in, in, um, in just one thing. I'm going to put a list of, of things up on the, on the screen. There's five things and just, just a, a love training action exercise that, that I would ask for you to, to join with me. Maybe you do all of these things regularly, and that's amazing, but I know that not all of us do because we get caught up in our lives and the responsibilities that we have and the things that we want to do and the, the habits that we're engaged in. So I just want to give you a few. This is not an exhaustive list, obviously. There are all kinds of different ways that you can show godly love to other people. Um, but I just, I just want to give you some ideas that I think are really helpful and maybe things that we don't necessarily think about naturally. The first is check in with a coworker on how their family is doing. I know, I know work is work and coworkers are coworkers, but man, there's such a great opportunity for you to model and show godly love in, in those moments. You just have relationships that you are forced into where you have this opportunity to show godly love. Um, just care about somebody else's life. Just, just one time, one time, you know, for 15 minutes. Maybe that person who's really annoying to you and is always trying to talk your ear off Maybe engage with them a little bit because maybe they're desperately looking for somebody to show them some love. Take on a task that is someone else's responsibility. Something that you know that somebody else does. It can be anywhere in your life. It could be a chore at home. It could be something at work. It could be taking out the trash, whatever it is. But just not, not with any fanfare. Don't, hey, did you see what I did for you today? You know, to, to get, you know, it's kind of one of those, well, I'm not going to go there. No, I'm not going to go there. But, you know, some, uh, no, I can't, I can't do it. You ask me later, that, that'll be a bonus, a bonus thing after, after the service. Um, but fellas, like, that's a, that's a good way. I went there. The fellas, that's a good thing for you to do in, in your relationships is to just do things without out being asked. And, and, and that can be really beneficial in, in your relationship. Uh, number three is just take a break from one thing that you do for you and do something for somebody else. Look, self-care is a thing that, it, that exists, and it, it can be important, but a lot of times it's just an excuse to be selfish. Uh, let's, let's be honest. I mean, it, yes, we need, we need to do things that are healthy for us and develop good habits and have a balance in our life and all those kinds of, kinds of things, but make sure it's not at the expense of somebody else in your life. And so just, just take a moment, something that you know that you enjoy, enjoy doing. Uh, I'm going to do my best to... Uh, to to watch left, I've been watching through Parks and Recreation, you know, just one of those shows that 
just kind of, kind of have on in the background at night or something. I'm going to try to do that less and just spend, spend a little bit more time, intentional time, um, with, with, uh, with my family and, and some of those things. Like instead of bedtime and they're going and do that, I'll go hang out with them and talk, talk with them. Um, follow up with a person from church that you haven't talked to in forever. Um, every time that you think, hey, I wonder how so-and-so is doing, that is the Holy Spirit prompting you to contact that person. Maybe that seems really bold to say, but that, that's what's happening. Because sometimes it's, oh, I should ask Rob how that person is doing. No, no, that's not at all what's happening there. The Holy Spirit is, is directing you, hey, I need to check in with this person, right? I, there's an opportunity to, to show love to this person. Uh, give something you own to someone who needs it more than you. Uh, very, very simple. It's just look for the need and provide it. Number six, I added somewhat, I don't know, last, well, it wasn't last minute, but I added after a while of, of looking, this, looking at this. Make sure, make sure that if somebody is doing one through five for you, uh, allow that to happen. Don't, don't brush it off. Don't, don't be the person who's like, well, I'm always doing things for other people, but I never let anybody do anything for me. Um, allow someone to fulfill a need in your life if they offer, offer that thing, because that, that is also how we experience love and express other people, love to other people as well. When our, when our hearts are full, we are able to share out of the abundance of that. And so as much as we give and are taking in, uh, allow, those things, allow those things to happen. When godly love is the love by which we define all others, we develop full hearts that always have room for others. And this is God's promise to us, that he always has room for us. And we would have it no other way for ourselves. Maybe we want the thing, same thing for others. We all want to be loved by other people. And we all know that's the worst feeling in the world when someone shuts us out and doesn't let us in. May, may, we, never, may we never do that to other people in our lives. There's a reason that the greatest commandment, which you know, it informs our mission as a church along with the Great Commission. There's a reason the greatest commandment comes in a pair. When Jesus asks, what's the greatest commandment? What's the one thing? Jesus says two things. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And if you look back in that passage of 1 John chapter 3, John says, because you can't separate the two. If you don't have one, you, you, you don't ha- have, have the other. And so we may, may we love to the same degree to which we want to be loved. And may we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us to hearts that love to the degree that God has loved us. Let's pray. God, help us to, if we need to, redefine what love looks like in our life, what we're looking for from other people, what we're hoping for for ourselves. Maybe some of, the, some of the ways that love has been defined us has been limited to just a romantic type of love or just a family type of love or just a brotherly love among other people. And yet there, there's a love that is meant to tie all of those things together in the most healthy and fulfilling way that we can experience this side of heaven. God, help us to, to recognize that in our own hearts. Help us to see the need that others have. Help us to see the holes maybe that they have in their life that we have been equipped by you to help, help fulfill. Whether it's something that, uh, something that they need or a person that they need, what, what, whatever it is, maybe it's a, an ear, you know, just, just somebody to listen to them. Maybe it's 
just uh, spending some quality time and, and taking time out of our own schedules to, to be intentional about how we are putting our own desires aside for the needs of others. God, help us to, to recognize what that balance is in our life. Guide us with the Holy Spirit and the opportunities that you, you present to us. Help us to recognize those moments in which we're wondering about this other person and we're thinking about this other situation. Help us to see those as promptings that you are giving us to, to take action. Not, not just to talk about it or think about it, but to, to do something about it. And God, give us the wisdom and the courage and the resources to do those things so that we might give everybody an opportunity to experience and accept your love from them. God, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.